Welcome back to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Proto, and today I'm happy to say I'm joined by Sam Williams, a serverless obsessive and teacher who runs Complete Coding, which helps companies and developers learn and utilize serverless. Now, he's honed his serverless experience over five years on projects, uh, some including designing a chat platform that resolves over a quarter of a million, that's 250,000, customer inquiries a month for international realtors and local government, architecting a back-end system to support 3D clothing visualization, and building a solution to manage millions of dollars of communication software. He's also taught serverless development to thousands of people for the last four years. The Complete Coding YouTube channel now has over 12,000 subscribers and 1 million views. Congratulations, Sam. Uh, and Thank don't you worry. very much. Links to Sam's courses and Complete Coding will be available in the show notes to check out after the episode. So... Congratulations. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, had a good day working with one of my clients and now getting to chat with you about everything serverless. So yeah, very good. Perfect. I know. What, what's more in that sort of way? Um, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear a little bit about your serverless journey. How did you get from, you know, wherever you were, wherever you think of as sort of your starting point to where you are now, getting to have these awesome days of helping clients, chatting about serverless? You know, live in the serverless dream, as they say. Yeah, perfect. So I didn't go the normal traditional computer science route. I actually have a degree in aerospace engineering and worked at Rolls-Royce doing jet engine simulation. Sounds really cool, but it was just so slow paced. And for me, I needed faster feedback. So I actually like this is before the serverless stuff used free code camp to learn how to do website development got a junior developer job, did that for uh, a couple of months, went traveling, did, took a load of courses and got a job as a like mid-level full stack kind of developer at a startup. The one thing with this startup was everything was completely serverless and I'd never heard of serverless. So I had a bit of a job to basically learn and get up to speed with like what was Lambda? How do you use it? API gateway security, like DynamoDB, everything. I had to learn that as quickly as I could so I could become basically a useful member of the team. And yeah, through that time, lots of reading blog articles, videos, and that's how I got into serverless. And for me, it was quite difficult because I found there were lots of tutorials that would teach a very slim segment of serverless, but there weren't as many resources that would take you from like, I know nothing to, I can actually build more like advanced applications more than just an API with a single dynamo table behind it. When you started learning this and finding out that there was this, this gap within the educational landscape, would you say that, you know, is this where your, your love for learning about serverless and like wanting to, wanting to teach it yourself sort of started? Or have you always been someone who is, you know, voraciously trying to, trying to learn and, and, and to adapt in, in that way? How do you think that plays out? So I think I've always, I've always been someone that's like striving to learn and be really good at whatever I do. Like before getting that job, I like, I'd only actually had like four months of commercial experience but then went away and took courses on like React and took courses on full stack MERN development. And my aim was basically like learn as much as I can to become as useful as I can for when I interview. And when I went into the serverless, it was the same thing. It's okay, they're using a technology I don't know. How can I learn this as quickly and as effectively as possible? And yeah, not having the resources there was definitely something that frustrated me and is why I basically first started the YouTube complete coding channel. It was just, okay, what tutorials do I want to make that will help would have helped me six months ago. And yeah, that's kind of where the channel started. And yeah, now it's grown to, to where it is. That's pretty, it's pretty amazing right there. Um, and it's good to see a little bit of, um, you know, your inspiration for complete coding, you know, coming from, you know, you know, your own perspective, like as maybe like the main user, of, you know, I wish I had these tutorials so I could be where I am right now. How do you think of complete coding now compared to how you thought about it in the beginning? Is that sort of the same core mission? 
today? Yeah, so I think the core mission is still basically just trying to help people become the best developers they can. And using serverless, I think, is one of the best ways for a developer at pretty much any level to accelerate their career because there's a lot less roadblocks in the way with like more traditional architecture. You've got to learn about like, if you want to build and be useful in an application space, you've got to understand auto scaling groups. You've got to understand like failover processes for when your server crashes, how does that recover? All of these kind of things, which massively increase what you need to know to be able to effectively be a part of a team. You don't really need to know as much of that or anywhere near as much if you're using serverless. So with myself, I went from being, I would say, a very green mid-level developer to being a team lead in like a year and a half, two years, because I I could learn and focus the things I really wanted to to be good at. And that allowed me basically to build the products and be a useful team member and focus on like the bigger picture things a lot sooner. And that's great that you're able to able to recognize that and that serverless really provides that opportunity. And I think there's so many like, you know, that opportunity isn't really going anywhere. Uh, something I've I've noticed in, in myself is since, you know, since I've been doing it for several years, sort of getting stuck in the weeds of, you know, oh, well, my whole world is serverless. My whole life is serverless. Maybe it's maybe it's getting older. But then I hear the reports from like the CEO of AWS that, you know, cloud is just maybe 10% of all IT workloads and serverless is one or 2% of that. 3% if you talk to a really optimistic uh, analyst <laughs> or something. So there's plenty yeah. of opportunity for, for serverless knowledge and serverless skills. And I think we are really at the tip of the iceberg. So that's, uh, you know, more, I think stories like yours are A, still common, only going to be more common. And, uh, you know, is a really good case for why you should be learning serverless and, and you know, uh, going to complete coding for learning all your serverless needs. Very nice plug there. Thank you very much. But yeah, <laughs> You're I, welcome. Think, I think that, yeah, serverless now is, is really building momentum. I think that now we're at a point where there are lots of, a lot more developers in more senior positions who are building with serverless and I think that's going to now mean that when they move into a new company and and there's a new project, it's going to be, why not try it with serverless? We've done it before and it was way faster. I think that's it's going to move from the stage we're at the moment, which is like very early adopters have kind of latched onto it to now it kind of creeping into some of the more mainstream tech world and into some larger enterprises, which I've seen with some of my clients who it always used to be like small startups that need to be super nimble. Now it's like there are large multi-million pound organizations who are going, actually, can we use this thing that's helped this little startup grow super fast to, to actually start this new project or to relieve some technical debt in some of our workloads? So I think the number of serverless jobs over the next 10 years is just going to explode. Completely. I definitely, definitely agree there. I was really surprised to see, you know, I went to the, uh, the nonprofit and public sector conference in Seattle since I, I moved up to Vancouver, Washington on the West Coast of the United States just several months ago. So, you know, that's why I have my blank wall behind me with no art or anything. I, I promise I don't just live in, uh, you know, a, a blank wall room. Uh, that's, that's, but that's currently where my office is. But now I live closer up to Seattle, sort of where the Amazon headquarters yeah. is, and they had a they had a big conference for uh, you know sort of like these really old legacy uh, educational institutions, public sector, government agencies, and um, when I went to one of the talks about modernization of the infrastructure, and each one was like, "We love serverless. We use it as much as we can." And I was like, "Wow, really? Uh, this is I I never would have thought that you know." certain industries that have the uh the stigma of being very slow like not wanting to change like from what i've talked to them they still are like that they do move very slow but they do see the immense value serverless has so and they run into the problem of how do i educate my team how do i build a successful team um you know 
Because in Definitely, those positions, yeah. people are usually there for maybe 30 years. They, they spend a full career in these places, so they really need to figure out a way to invest in who they have. That is generally the situation they're in. Now, I'm interested to, to know a little bit, you know, what is your day-to-day right now with a complete coding? What does that sort of look like? look like for you? And how has that sort of changed since you started it? Because I imagine, you know, there's there's plenty of things to do. Yeah. So originally, it just started out as a YouTube channel. And that was awesome. I was teaching people. And it was just something I did on the side before work or on the weekend. And through that, I ended up actually having a couple of companies contact and say, like, hey, we followed this tutorial, we really like it. But we want to try and apply it to our business or we like this tutorial and this tutorial, how do we bring them together and build a product out of it? So I've actually kind of accidentally fallen into consultancy. So um, my day-to-day is kind of split now between working with clients, usually startups, but with the occasional larger company and basically helping them to build out serverless applications or build out products that primarily leverage what serverless has to offer. And on like, so that's probably, I would say half of my, half of my working time. The other half is, uh, designing and creating content. So that could be a blog article. It could be creating a course or creating more videos for the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is something I've definitely started to be a lot more deliberate with trying to choose the topics that I think will really hit home and help people to really get started or to like take a big step and like it used to be i just have a random idea and make it and now it's a lot more planned out thought out and hopefully a lot better created content for for my viewers awesome no i love i love that piece of insight i I got two questions coming for you from from that phrase so i need to decide which one i'm going to do first First one will be a bit about the, because uh, you said something very interesting about, you know, making this content and then companies were saying, well, can we apply this tutorial to, to my business? Um, could you unpack that a little bit more, more for me? Uh, do you find that, you know, when companies are coming to you saying, can we apply this to m- my business? You know, is there really something that specific they, they need help with? Um, uh, like what, what goes into making it, you know, specific for a certain business? Is it a specific use case? Is it a template of services? Is it, is it just having like some one-on-one tutoring? What is it would you say that these companies are, are needing the most? So I think the, when a comp- company contacts me, it's usually from one of three kind of main reasons. The first is that they can build this uh, tutorial or this product in isolation, but they need help with how to design it in a way that integrates with their existing architecture, with their existing applications, whether it's a CRM system or some bespoke software that they're already running. The second part is that they're just not, they're new to serverless, so they're not confident enough that the deployment will work as expected. They haven't really got to grab got to grips with like how the auto scaling works or the security or something about it. They're just unsure and they need someone who has a more experienced um, portfolio to basically confirm that it is going to work how they want it to work. And the third is that they've built it, but they want to expand it or they want to develop more features and they just haven't got that serverless development experience in house. So they need someone to come in and it's often they've given it a try or they've drawn some architecture diagrams and they need someone to kind of go, that's really good. That's perfect. But that bit over there in six months, you'll come across this problem with, for example, like partitions in dynamo tables. It'd be like, they put everything in a single partition and it's like, yeah, at the moment it works, but it's kind of helping people avoid potholes that I've personally run over in the past with the kind of things that I've done both as an employee and then with companies I've supported as a consultant. I think that all makes total sense and I can definitely relate. I think those are many common reasons that I've seen just 
you know, companies of all sizes, startups, mid-level enterprises who have started service, started working with serverless or wanting to utilize serverless more, uh, you know, they, they, they want help with those three aspects. You know, there, there's, there's always very intricate, especially in larger companies. There's a matter of sometimes there's greenfield projects that you get to work on or that get made. But even at, at that point, there may be some, you know, legacy third party data provider that they still need to work with and need to, you know, rack their yeah. brains around, well, how do we integrate our brand new shiny serverless system with this thing that batch processes? There's all these, you know, different problems that, uh, that, uh, that, that come up. So, you know, and that's a, that's a great role of education as a consultant, someone to, you know, walk you through those tough times together instead of just, Definitely. Uh, you know, not knowing what you don't know. That's probably the largest risk in technology and in these cutting edge industries. So, no, I think that's, that's possible. That's, that's perfect. And then something else you had mentioned before, which is uh, very intriguing to me, you were saying that, you know, now your content creation process is, I think, what was it a bit more methodical? You had said something along those lines, how, what, what inspires your content making process? How do you, how do you, how do you approach something like this? Especially in the world of serverless, it's so new. If you think about, you know, how many, educational videos on, you know, gardening or planting, planting for winter. Uh, you know, my, my partner is a big gardener and she has a lovely garden that we're always working in with our two chickens. And so there's so many videos on, you know, on this, we've been gardening since the agricultural revolution serverless, you know, is so yeah. small in the, in the time. So you can make anything. How do you decide out of the pool of everything to make what to focus on? So it, when I first started and for anyone that's wanting to start out creating content it's kind of document what you're doing so just like if you at work build something i would often like build it at work go oh that's really cool and make a simplified version and make that into a tutorial just here's how i did image resizing in lambda for example that was one of the tutorials and videos that's done really well and it was literally just i had to do it at work for one of the projects I thought, that's cool. Let's make a video. Now that I'm trying to focus on more growing the growing the channel and trying to make the best content I can, it's a lot more around trying to find really common questions that I think people are asking now about serverless, but I think that they will still be asking in two or three years. I think that the, you can create the content about like, AWS has just come out with this new service. This is amazing and it's brilliant, but it'll only really help people for the next month or two until it's just commonplace to use that. So I think finding content that a lot of the time it comes from like viewer questions, things I get on LinkedIn or just like questions I see like throughout the internet, whether it's on Twitter, just people asking, oh, I'm trying to do this or, oh, I did this and I can't get it working. Those are often really good th um, ideas. And then trying to basically plan it and package it in a way that basically grabs the user's attention. So with YouTube, you've only got those first five seconds to make someone stay at a video, making it, making it really exciting and really interesting for a, for the viewer. So they really want to carry on watching because the amount of, yeah, even myself, I love learning about serverless. Sometimes I click onto a video and hear like someone in a very bored kind of sounding accent or bored sounding voice, just start reading some notes on a on a spreadsheet on a slide. And I'm just like, I just don't want to listen to this. So if I can make it sound more interesting and sound more exciting for the viewer, they're more likely to stay. They're more likely to learn something and become a better serverless developer. I, I think that's that's super key. And my most of my day today at Serverless Guru is you know the functions of the chief operations officer. But I used to run all the mark like all the marketing initiatives. Uh, you know, I used to run those here and created most most of those. And so I have this heavy marketing background because I wanted to be a game designer. Uh, and so I just decided, oh, let me just architect, uh, instead of architecting purely game experiences, I'll just arch architect like company experiences instead. 
And a weird, interesting thing about that is looking at the state of content or the state of, you know, what sort of content gets clicks and what sort of content, you know, uh, in different industries is, is popular. And in a certain way, we're in this weird place where there is too much content. Like, you know, you couldn't watch it all. If you, if you decided, I want to watch every yeah. YouTube video, uh, you couldn't do it. But there's also not enough at every, at any particular moment. Is there the perfect piece of content that captures your intention, engages you and provides you with what you're really looking for? Probably, probably no, or at least it's very, very difficult, especially when you get very niche like this. I need to learn serverless, this niche thing of probably how to implement it and potentially how to integrate it with my unique system and not be bored out of my mind and regretting my decision to, you know, to learn this at the same time. Those are three very, very high asks. So as someone who thinks about, you know, you know, how does one do that? It's like, you know, do we do we make a game show with serverless? You know, what do we what do we what do we do next? So I think you uh, you really yeah. capture a lot of those elements. Or do you do any any work around uh, like well, how do you figure out what sort of questions people will continue to ask? Because in in a certain way, how do I utilize this new service? Potentially, if the service gets deprecated, then uh, then they're not going to be you know searching for that anymore. But one thing I've noticed. Uh, you know, is that there seems to be new waves of people that join the serverless marketplace. And some of them repeat some of the same steps that have previously been repeated. So they'll ask the same set of questions. And based off of the set of questions they're asking, I can sort of tell how, how much experience they have. Uh, maybe if they've done it at another company, you know, certain, you know, what is it? Not as many people ask me or are really concerned about Lambda, Lambda cold starts or vendor lock-in. Uh, as I used to receive those questions, but you know, those still sort of pop up so I can see new people entering the market. And so is that something you consider when you're thinking about what content lives longer or is there another thing I'm completely missing? Yeah. So I think definitely when, when I create content, like I kind of group it into like two main buckets. One is like you are someone who is interested in the topic and here is a video that will help anyone who is interested in this topic those to have that wider audience you have to have it at that slightly higher level so it it isn't deep diving into something really technical but i think those videos are always going to be useful for people coming in unless there is a complete change in the way that we do something which occasionally it does happen and um, then those videos do become less relevant. Like people are still going to ask a lot of the very same uh, early learning questions. That's that's kind of half the content, and that's probably where, from the YouTube channel, I get more subscribers because they're new to the content and they're new to the channel. The flip side is like I still enjoy doing the really deep and dirty, like the technical, like how do you implement something that is really specific. I know that that kind of content for me isn't going to attract like a hundred new subscribers. I know that it's not going to hit a million views. It's not even going to hit 5,000 views, but the people that watch it are going to be like, that is an awesome video. And I really, really like the fact that they've gone into the real depth. And for me, having the combination of both the really technical and the really high level is kind of where at the moment I'm playing things because, yeah, I could go all super high level content and all go all fluffy and make videos with lovely, beautiful music. But I think there's always going to be people asking those difficult questions and I enjoy answering them because I like solving difficult problems. So, yeah, that's that's definitely something I'm going to always carry on doing is the really technical side of it as well. Fantastic. I definitely, you know, I can definitely relate because if you can, if you can provide the needed answer to someone in their crucial time of need, like many YouTube videos, I've thankfully stumbled upon, a, uh, stumbled <laughs> upon, you know, there, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like getting your very specific situation at, like answered. So I think, uh, so I love, I love that perspective, you know, lean into your strengths and what, what, you know, inspires you to continue to make content. So that's, that's a good perspective. 
Now I wanted to, we've talked a, you know, a good deal about the, uh, I don't know, some, some meta parts about, you know, what is it like to make content? What is it like to, uh, you know, build, build something like, like you, you've built and, um, uh, wanted to ask a change perspective a little bit into maybe about the, you know, the, uh, like the developers themselves, the students themselves, the individuals who are, who are the ones actually learning. So something that, you know, I've, I've heard around your space is, you know, serverless is awesome, not just for businesses, but for developers as well. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Like what is beneficial about serverless as, as the developer, as the engineer? Yeah. So I kind of very gently brushed on this earlier with the, mm -hmm. the fact that when you learn serverless, because you don't have the overheads of networking and of as much security or auto scaling clusters and redundancy and all of these kind of things that you have to deal with when you're running a server, you can really focus on the, the things that are, that make the things that basically turn the dial, the things that move the needle for, if you're a, an employee for your boss, for your company, building more features more quickly, or if you're a, a an entrepreneur, solopreneur or a founder, it's like, like you are the one building the features for your clients. And if you can do that 50% faster, that's awesome. And I think as if I was a, a mid-level developer, I would massively be thinking like, I want to really learn serverless because it's going to take me like a year or two to get to like the senior or lead developer. If I go the serverless route, if I go the traditional architecture route, maybe learn Kubernetes or something like that. It's just going to take so much longer to get to that same level and depth of understanding of what I need to know because you need to know so much more. And in terms of career progression, I think serverless is a really, really promising choice for any developer. Um, but also just on a more day-to-day -day basis, like I've not really had to think about like what size of EC2 or calculating like what kind of traffic maximum peaks I'm going to get if I do a, like if I was running an application using EC2s and it would just add so much extra workload where I'm not writing code to solve problems. I'm writing code or designing architecture to kind of manage operations and I love the, like, especially when I do work with some clients or when I've done consultancy in the past and in like a day you can build with a client, like a proof of concept and shit and then give it to them and go like, this is, although it's a proof of concept or an MVP, you could push this into production and this like MVP is going to be scalable enough that if you do have a hundred thousand users one day just appear, it's going to work. If you try and do the same thing and do a, do an MVP with a client on an EC2, it's like, that's going to crash and that's going to crash hard. So I, yeah, I just really like being able to deliver features and what, and I hope that, uh, developers out there enjoy like that feeling of accomplishment. And I think that happens a lot more regularly. And you can iterate a lot faster with serverless than you can with uh, other systems. I, I would agree. What is it? You know, a thousand percent with uh, with that statement right there. I think that's that's continual feedback we see from so many clients, so many customers, so many people in the industry. And I hear that the loudest, I think, from organizations like just learning it, or maybe they've just like built their first couple MVPs, and it's like you're telling me that. I could push this to production and it would just work. Or you're telling me this already scales. I don't have to budget another six or eight months to, okay, this, this POC worked, this MVP worked. Now I need to budget another 12 months to, to make it ready for, for my customers. I know that was something that, yeah. you know, continually amazes individuals. And, you know, that's uh, the, the, like the, the argument for serverless just on a purely like efficiency, operational velocity, uh, product development life cycle uh, win is, you know, where tons of the value, you know, really lives. Yeah. 
Um, and it's it's interesting, like one of the challenges I still get is around the cost of serverless and how like as a business, it's like, oh, but Lambda costs 12 times more than if I ran an EC2 with it. And it's like, it does if you're running that EC2 at exactly 95% uh, CPU capacity 24-7. And then also, as long as you're not not factoring in the cost that either your developer is spending an hour a day on operations tasks or that you've hired an operations team, there's all these extra factors and like the true cost of serverless ownership and like the true cost of application ownership, I think, is something that is often overlooked when people look at just like, oh, the pricing of serverless is way more than it would be if I built it myself. Um, but yeah, and if you're a developer, you want to be developing, not building monitoring dashboards and those kind of things. So, oh, that's my personal no, opinion. Um, but I'm sure some people out there love monitoring and dashboarding, but that's not my cup of tea. Exactly. Well, one thing I've never met, one you know, avatar I've never met is the uh, is the engineer that absolutely loves all of the uh, cross functional meetings with the product team, the project management team, and the security team for multiple hours in a week, with and you know making it so they can't write or push any code for months. So that's that. I've, I've yet to meet that person who truly feels that their their soul is awakened and is set free in, during those places. <laughs> so thankfully, I think, uh, you know, serverless allows you, you know, as, as people who like to build, like to create, like to be creative uh, and, you know, have that satisfaction of, you know, a job, not just a job well done, but a job like finished. And, um, you know, that's that that's a good profile for, I find, who serverless is is for in that way. But if you like all the meetings then you know, maybe uh, maybe a different technology stack is, is being used, <laughs> but that could yeah. just be from some. Uh, so some interesting experience I've had or I've seen in, in different industries, especially industries that, you know, aren't tech first, like in many ways it could be challenging or, or a perspective I've seen in, um, in companies that aren't particularly tech first. So maybe this is I'm trying to think specifically, I think a lot of logistics companies, I know people who've worked in logistics for a long time, whether it's like manufacturing or garbage or, or lots of. Uh, industries that are just, I have a large volume of one thing and I have to move it over here or move it over there. And it's very hard yeah. for them to sometimes feel like they should be investing in new, new technology infrastructure. And something I've heard, I've heard them say is, you know, well, we don't have, we don't have time to educate our team. We don't have time to, uh, you know, the engineers that we have, they aren't very experienced or more junior. We don't have time for junior engineers really we're thinking of you know deprecating a lot of our technology initiatives um i don't know what do you what do you think those companies are are leaving on the table um when they're when they're choosing against education when they're choosing to move away from sort of investing in uh in, in serverless and this sort of infrastructure modernization yeah so i think if if any company isn't investing in educating their staff no matter if they're a junior if they're a senior or or if they're completely outside of tech, if you're not continually upskilling your staff and training them to come up with better ways of doing what they're already doing, then I think that you're definitely gonna gonna find that you're gonna be left behind by the companies that are the companies that are trying new things that are experimenting. And I think that, yeah, with the whole thing around do you hire juniors? is always difficult because they're not going to, they're, you are usually, they're not going to be as productive the moment that you hire them. And it may take a while for them to get up to speed. But I think serverless helps combat that. But as I've said, because there's just a lot less to learn, you can have a junior who um, very, very quickly, if you train them in the right areas, you train them in how to, actually be productive and build useful uh implementations and you build and you give them patterns to follow you can have a junior developer who in six months is like really really productive with serverless they probably still want to have a senior developer sitting above them who can 
kind of spot where they might be going slightly off track or advise on some of the more like the really nitty gritty details but yeah six months of learning and implementing serverless you can become a really really good engineer and i think that companies who are used like i've seen companies where they have like junior developer programs where it's like a two-year program and for those two years they're not allowed to push any code to a real environment where it's all just sandbox you're just learning and that's all you do whereas yeah i've at the company i used to work at we had junior developers who in their second week were pushing code into the pipeline which was going into the real environment and after some qa ended up in production and i think serverless enables that and if you're not I think, yeah, serverless is the best way to make use of junior developers and get them productive as quickly as you can. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks, or at least you heard it right now on Talking Serverless Podcast. Serverless is one of the best ways to, you know, get the maximum value out of your junior developers or those in the beginning of their of their career. So don't sleep on it. Utilize it. Now, that's I think that's a, that's a very powerful statement, and I think, you know, one thing we've we've had to combat a lot with uh, with enterprise companies, or you know, as a, as as someone who recruits for serverless engineers, you know, you can't say, you know, I want someone with twenty years of Lambda experience or ten years of Lambda. So you know, you can't like can't really say yeah. those sort of things. But I'll find job postings where they do say those sort of things, and it's like, wow, you you don't necessarily know that you know a senior serverless engineer isn't necessarily someone who has 20 years of experience with that technology definitely has some, you know, software lifecycle experience, but you can with a little bit of professional experience or just at a code school with some practical uh, studying and some practical projects, you know, really put yourself to the grindstone, learn AWS, learn some serverless services, take some courses and be very proficient and being able to push production ready code for, enterprise workloads it, it it doesn't need to be so difficult there doesn't need to be such a high barrier for entry so i like i like what you said right there definitely maps with what i've seen in the marketplace yeah i've i've definitely had comments on youtube videos saying like i've just binge watched these 20 videos over the last month and i've just managed to land myself a job as a developer or i've had startups have messaged me saying like we've tried building this this app before and it failed and we couldn't build it we've followed some of your videos and we've now built our our saas mvp using serverless and yeah they they're not necessarily like the most experienced engineers but they're making progress they're getting things built with yeah in some cases having watched like a month's worth of tutorials and done some uh, some practice at home or just trying things. And I think that's another advantage of serverless. It's so easy to try because of the AWS free tier that anyone can start up an AWS account. You can create some APIs, some Dynamo tables. You can try out Cognito. You can try all these other fancy services like using Transcribe or Textract to like to build out a thing. You could build basically loads of really cool little experiments and you don't have to worry about the bill being a million pounds. Obviously there are certain things where you can accidentally cause very large bills, but most of the things, as long as you're following like some core design patterns, which everyone talks about, then you can build some really cool applications really quickly and get some like, almost like real world experience without having a job as a serverless engineer, which if you can rock up to a job interview and go, Hey, I've never worked professionally with serverless, but here is a like shopping API that I've built, or here is a system where I can automatically send out SMS reminders based on, uh, this or that or the other having those real applications that work, that are deployed. It's not just something that's sat in Heroku that you have to 
prod or poke 20 minutes before you walk into the interview because <laughs> I've done that before. Um, yeah, you can build really powerful applications just on your own for free. No, very true. Now, another thing I'm always, uh, I'm always very fascinated and interested in with our guests is, you know, we're always talking about serverless. We're always talking about, you know, sort of like their thing that they're doing, but I'm always interested to see like, you know, what are the things that, you know, what are the things that inspire us or help like feed this, help feed, feed the beast. And I've seen uh, like on Twitter, not only are you a serverless obsessive, but also a fan of rock climbing as well. And I want to know, like, yeah. how did you how did you get into that? I used to do a lot of free bouldering in college, sort of culminating in a trip to uh, in a trip to Utah and Arches National Park around around Ooh, that area. And there's very some really jealous. beautiful places uh, that I, I got to go and see on this like backpacking rafting trip. Climb some great places. Like to go back. Need to train up to that though. But how did you get in, into rock climbing and and what what is it like? Uh, so just kind of just as a kid, I was always climbing trees and buildings and anything I could. So when I was like five, a climbing center opened in Liverpool, uh, an hour's drive from my parents or half an hour. So my dad took me along and kind of introduced me to it. I think he'd done it when he was 20 or something like that and hadn't done it since. So I was like, oh, Sam will enjoy this kind of threw me at some ropes and kind of started there kind of built up to the point where when I was probably 16 or 17, I was working at the climbing center as an instructor, training there, probably climbing for about 18 hours a week and competing at like international level. Um, and then kind of met the outdoor world. And like now I actually uh, live in Germany um, and have a self-converted camper van which me and my girlfriend drive around Europe and uh, basically go to the most amazing places. And it's got an office built in so I can kind of work in the office, do a day's work. And then at five o'clock, just go, it's a five minute walk to the nearest climbing area. Let's go outside. And that was always a driving goal. It was, I want a career that allows me to be where the climbing is and not stuck in an office with like a, a two hour commute to try and get to some good rock climbing. Um, I'm actually currently in Austria uh, at the moment. So yeah, doing exactly that, uh, staying in an Airbnb for a couple of nights. But before that we were in Switzerland in our camper van in a beautiful valley. And yeah, we could walk from our van five minutes and be at one of the best bouldering areas in Europe. That's fantastic. That's, it sounds amazing. It definitely inspires me to to get out, especially before the weather really turns to to winter over where I'm at, to try to squeeze a little bit more out um, in the mountains. Do you have a dream place that you would like to go climbing, whether it is you know on this side of the pond or the other or the other? Uh, so there's uh, almost too many places to name. Um, I have a very <laughs> long list somewhere, but yeah, I definitely like our plan for the next two years is to travel around Europe, climb as much as we can and enjoy the remote working life. Definitely considering a big trip to the US, um, going all like basically all the big climbing areas around, around, uh, America, uh, big, long, ideally six month long trip. That would be the, uh, the dream. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much climbing over here that we're finding with, with it's almost too hard to to drive that far because you drive for two hours and you get this amazing valley and it's like, but this isn't even near the place we were trying to go. We're just stopping off on the way and it's got enough climbing for 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 months. So, yeah, don't think we're gonna run yeah, out. It'll, of it'll take you a while to to work through all of the all the places in Europe. Yeah, very long that list. Sounds, that, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, if you find yourself in the on the west coast let me know we can we can meet up or if you need a place to crash my new place has some ex extra space so if you need anything just let me know that honestly i will probably take you up on that at some point all right yeah, be great to... well, we, we can we know how to contact each other so that's that sounds like a plan now what is i know i know we're pressing up against the uh almost to the hour i don't want to keep you too too late 
but do you have a little bit more time for some uh, questions yeah, go for from it. social media? Yeah, we have some sure. guest questions that they wanted to ask Oof. you. But not, not potentially a bit more about, you know, I think putting on the consulting hat um, Ooh, okay. a little bit rather than purely, purely about the, uh, like the education or, or content side. Let's see. So uh, I think this is like a really, maybe more c- a common question. And this is from uh, Omid Idavandi. Uh, how, how does serverless overcome legacy dependencies to infrastructure? I think this, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the sense that you've talked about, you know, serverless, you know, sometimes there's these template solutions or these template frameworks of how to do something, but you have to really understand the system you're working in and, you know, match it to that use case. So what is it, what, what can that look like sometimes? So I think a lot of the time when you're trying to, it depends if you're trying to integrate with an existing system or if you're trying to replace an existing system, if you're just trying to integrate, then it is just coming down to like, what is the interface going to be between your application and the existing one? Are you going to decide to basically migrate all of the all of the data from the existing system could be like a nightly backup into AWS and then your AWS serverless systems can integrate with their own databases and have it that way. That's one pattern I've seen work quite well in certain circumstances. The the other kind is that you that when you've got like an API available from the existing system, this is probably the most common um, integrating whether it's a third party or an old legacy system. It's can we make an API so that our serverless world can contact and yeah whether it like i've had to build soap mapping apis for uh for legacy systems and if anyone doesn't know soap it is a abomination of an api protocol which uh has caused me many many hours of a lost sleep um trying to build integrations but usually you can build some some sort of interface where your serverless world can talk to your legacy world. The other side is the kind of replacing your legacy. And again, that's uh, Yan Shui puts it as the uh, the strangler pattern where you try and build something and you replicate just a small chunk of your legacy architecture and you have them running in parallel for a while until you're confident enough that you can just take that little chunk off and replace it with just well with the serverless bit that you've already built and is running and slowly by slowly bit by bit you can chunk off bits of your legacy architecture your legacy system and replace it with serverless versions with that you can have them both running in parallel so that if you find that serverless isn't the perfect match for certain parts then yeah you can keep those or you can switch and test how performance is between them um so yeah the strangler pattern is something that is very powerful and very useful for companies who are looking to re-engineer a, a system definitely and i think i can also add i think the strangler pattern was one of the first that i think we really started i don't know really uh, starting to integrate our processors around our build internal processes at serverless guru around and you know we never regretted it uh and neither did our clients so definitely i can recommend if you're trying to modernize or update. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good pattern to use. So thank you, Jan, for uh, t- teaching me at least about that. And then we have another we have another question around, you know, Kevin Cost is asking, you know, what are your thoughts around, you know, preferred cloud automation applications or toil reduction methods? So I think this question is asking about, like, how do you reduce the burden on your developers when building systems and... Obviously, there are frameworks out there because writing raw cloud formation is absolute nightmare. And it's something that you do have to do from now on, from now and then. But if you can, it's much better to try and use a framework which helps accelerate your development. Obviously, there are things like the serverless framework and the CDK, AWS SAM, and even like Amplify, which are kind of the core frameworks. And I 
I think anyone that's looking to learn serverless development, pick either the CDK or the serverless framework is my personal personal recommendation because they're around for long enough that you know they're not going to disappear. But there are a lot of these new systems coming out and some of them look really, really promising. But I think until they have grown in size enough that they are, they have the community. So with serverless, there is a massive community that can help support you and reduce the, the burden of being the one that knows it all. Because you can just go and you can ask a question and there'll be someone in the serverless forums that the serverless framework forums that can help help answer your question or with the CDK, because it's an official Amazon product, then you know it's going to have continued development with some of these new serverless deployment frameworks. I can see that in three or four years, they may go, actually, this isn't this isn't for us and they may stop development. And that's kind of a risk you've def you definitely are taking if you do pick up one of these brand new uh, kind of frameworks. But yeah, I would stick to learning the things that you know are going to be valuable for the next five years because, yeah, that's that's the kind of time frame because serverless changes so quickly that in five years a lot will be different. But if there are any things, any things that you can learn now which you know will still be relevant in five years, that will massively reduce the amount of uh, relearning you'll have to do. Exactly. And, you know, as long as the tool still exists in some format, you'll probably be fine. Because if I think about the kinds of conversations I've had with people who said, oh, we're still using these on-prem servers, there hasn't been an update in 10 years. Now we think we want to move away. I imagine something like that, even when we all balk at the idea of, wow, they're still on serverless, they haven't just uploaded their consciousness straight to the cloud and it all compiles with this with this new thing. You know, you know, until we get to that point, some of it will probably still exist. And you make another great point, which is optimizing for, you know, our best guesses on what really will still exist. Like I know with serverless framework, at the very least, you know, they, they've been around for a long, long time. There's so much third party support. And I think the main framework has like a it's like an open license. So even if they fully sold everything and that person turned it private, you could just fork the uh, their old repository and then the community could just continue building on the serverless framework. Uh, yeah. the CDK, you know, Amazon has a great track record with, you know, continuing to build. I don't think they're going anywhere. I wonder why I have that idea. But, you know, I don't see AWS shutting down shop any, any bit. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to place... It's a strategic bet you have to make on these new services that are being developed. And you have to ask yourself, you know, you know, why is it being developed? Is it just so the founders can raise a couple $10 million and sell it in a couple of years? Well, who are they selling it to and what's really going to happen? Um, yeah. Do I know the dynamics of, you know, selling, uh, selling those sort of products? So I used to, I've always been in startups since I graduated college. So I, thankfully I have that sort of perspective, but you know, it's yeah. a, you don't want to gamble with your technology infrastructure for your enterprise company. That's not a that's not a, gamble, a good gamble. So you make excellent points uh, with with what you said. Absolute excellent point. So if you could own any animal, real, mythical, imaginary, or extinct, what would you choose? That's a really uh, <laughs> it's a bit trickier. Yeah, it's a bit trickier. And I can uh, I, I can also go first if that would help. Recently. And it can be under ideal circumstances. Like recently, I, I, I took a small trip down to, to Florida um, for, for a retreat. And it, I was always really surprised. It was just so hot and so humid and very swampy. And it just made me think, you know, well, why aren't there hippopotamuses here? It'd be so cool to have some hippos. Uh, and so I think I'm, in a, I'm feeling the, the hippo mood. You know, ideally, this, this hippo would, uh, you know, never be aggressive and would only be fun and, and like to cuddle sometimes. Like... Uh, like, you know, the popular hippos I see on social media. But uh, I think if I could, I think that would be a very interesting pet because they kind of act like puppies already. But this one, you know, if we get to hang, you get to go swimming with it. Okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, uh, very weird tangent, but my, my mother actually grew up in uh, Kenya and once got wow. chased down a river by a hippopotamus and says <laughs> that that is uh, one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened to her, so... 
I believe it. Oh my gosh. They wow. are huge. So yeah. But if you had a nice pet one, that that could be quite cool. Exactly. And then, you know, it's probably the best uh, guard dog or deterrent possible. You know, <laughs> someone like walks around and there's a two ton hippopotamus just hanging out in a child's kiddie pool, just staring you down. <laughs> that could be, uh, you know, quite the experience. Definitely. Okay. So I think my answer, I don't know what the the animal or mythical creature is, but there was a some co- some kind of dragon that could control the weather. So, like, A, it's a dragon. Yes. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing. It, it can fly you places. You can go around wherever you want. And also, being able to control the weather, this kind of pulls back to my climbing obsession. When it starts raining and you're like, oh, we can't go climbing because everything's wet. If you mm-hmm. had a weather-controlling dragon, you could just make it sunny or make it breezy so the rock dries quickly. And yeah, you could have make sure that the, the climbing conditions are the best they possibly are all of the time. So you could have as much fun climbing as possible. So yeah, it's a it's very climbing obsessed kind of idea. Fantastic. No, I love it. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastical and very practical, which I love <laughs> very, very much in that way. You know, I, I could, I could find some uses for a weather controlling dragon myself. So if we pile our wishes together, maybe they'll both come true. Oh, that weather-controlling hippopotamus. <laughs> I also would be fine with that. Oh, amazing. Well, Sam, is there anything else you'd like to touch on or us to, us to chat about uh, before, so, we, yeah. before we get on our hippopotamuses? <laughs> so, yeah, one of the things that um, I've been working on over the last probably six months, and it's kind of accumulated from a lot of the YouTube videos that I've built, is I've actually made a course which is kind of aiming to get people from like absolute beginner in AWS or kind of like I've maybe you've used it a little bit. You've watched, like listened to the podcast, you know about serverless. Maybe you even deployed your first Lambda. It's like, how do you go from there to actually I've got some really cool projects where I've built things and I can actually go into a company and be a productive, helpful member. So as we were talking about earlier, how can I be that junior developer that is really helping the company grow? So I made a course where it teaches you how to do serverless development using seven practical projects, starting out with some really simple, simple API projects, all the way up to doing like advanced single table design and dynamo streams and even like event bridge, uh, event driven architecture. And the course is like, it's designed to try and give you that practical experience as quickly as you can. No, it's not like a hundred hour course. It's going to get you the experience you need as quickly as you can. So yeah, if, if anyone is interested in learning serverless, then I'm sure these guys will have uh, the link somewhere in some show notes. Absolutely. No, I, I'm sold right now. So, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, so if anyone else finds that, you know, even mildly interesting, please take a look, uh, and definitely consider signing up for it. I think that sounds fantastic. And I know we have some, uh, some interns running at serverless guru right now. And so I'm going to share that with them and, and see, and see as well. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. And we'll have all you, all the show notes for, for Sam, uh, you know, listen to all the links because we have a number of links for website, YouTube, LinkedIn, Udemy. We'll put, share that in the show notes. And if you need to get in contact with Sam, you'll, you'll have everything you need. That sounds great. Rockin'. Well, then with with that, I think, you know, you know, I had an amazing time chatting with you. This is super fun. Uh, you know, hope we get to do it again sometimes. And if you're in the area, definitely, uh, what is it? You know, definitely hit me up and, you know, you you can yeah, you we'll at do. the very least park park your van at my too large a driveway and uh, <laughs> come outside and we can cook breakfast and, and that sounds uh, awesome stuff rocker thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for joining us today sam this is uh um, thank you for having me you're very welcome and you know for all of our listeners once again thank you for joining us uh me and sam williams today at the talking serverless podcast with your host josh proto and uh if you like our show if you want to listen to more of it you know Check out some of our old episodes at talkingserverless.io. Um, and if you really like it, it would mean a lot to us if you left us a review, whether it's 
on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, your your preferred podcast listening platform. Um, And I'll see you next time for when we sit down with another serverless guest. So everyone have a good rest of your day. And until next time, we'll sign off.